Good morning, church. That song there, in many ways, uh, provides a prayer, doesn't it? Uh, when we say that we come with open hearts, we are saying to the Lord our hearts are receptive, they are humble, they are soft, and they are ready to receive. And so hopefully that is the case as we come this morning to God's Word now uh, to hear what the Lord has to say uh, for each and every one of us. So I would encourage you this morning to please open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and if you need a Bible, we have uh, these fine-looking men at the front of the room. They're going to make their way to the back. You just throw your hand up so that they can get one to you so you can follow along with us here this morning. We return our <clears throat> this morning to our new study on the relational commitments of uh, the local church. If you remember from last week, we talked about how the goal of this new series here is to uh, strengthen uh, this local church body, especially as we think about the subject of membership. What is it that committed membership looks like? Uh, I mentioned last week that our elders over the last few years have crafted a, a document to help understand and to solidify these ideas, these commitments that we see throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament church. And so it is our desire that we would share that with you, not just for those who are entering into membership, as we have been doing recently, but to seek to strengthen this local church body by proclaiming and helping us all together as a church understand these ideas. Uh, and what we're going to do then is to work through these eight relational commitments that you see on that document. If you, again, want to grab a copy of that, that is available at that back table there. So feel free to grab one and follow along uh, throughout this series in that. But we're really seeking to answer from each of these commitments, why? Why are these things good? Why has God given these things for our eternal good? After all, these are there in the New Testament. We're not seeking to uh, give a defense as to whether or not they are there. We want to better understand why it is that they are so valuable and important to us. And so last week, we really laid the foundation for this series as we talked about God's design for membership in a local church, a local assembly of believers, and why God has designed that for our uh, eternal good. And today, we turn to the first commitment in this document, which we believe is foundational to all the rest. After all, where do we base anything that we do? We base it on the authority of God's holy scriptures. So that's where we're going today. And the passage before us this morning is Psalm 19. And so I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the public reading of God's word as we read from Psalm 19. Uh, in many ways, I wanted to read Psalm 119, but uh, that would take uh, roughly about 15 minutes to do. Uh, which honestly would be time well spent. And I've been at a conference before where they did that, and it was one of the sweetest things I've experienced. But for the sake of our time this morning, we're going to go to Psalm 19, not 119. Here we still have David who is writing, um, and he is writing a psalm that speaks to the glory of God's revelation uh, God's revealing of himself. He speaks in the opening six verses of God's revelation of himself through uh, the creation and through nature and the glory there. But then he turns his attention in verses 7 to 11, which is where we'll read this morning, to the specific revelation of God himself through his word. 
And that will serve as the foundation for our study this morning. So listen to the words of David as he seeks to impart to us the sweet nature of the word of the Lord to him. David writes in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You may be seated and let's ask now for God's favor on our meditation of his word together. Father, now we do pray that we would come to you with open hearts, that you would soften us to receive your word as we seek to be reminded today of the immense value that you have given to us in preserving your written revelation so that, Lord, we would know you and know how to submit ourselves to you because we know that you have our eternal good in mind. So we pray that you would help us to see that with fresh eyes here this morning. Uh, may we glorify you in our listening today that your spirit uh, would work through the ministry of your word for the glory of your name, we ask. Amen. Well, I do admit that there is <clears throat> something very unique about preaching a sermon on the Bible. Uh, to say that we are going to God's word to talk about God's word. Uh, yet I have found it to be a helpful and really a fruitful exercise, even for my own heart this past week as I considered this first membership commitment that we're going to talk about this morning. And if you don't have that document before you, that's okay. We'll throw it up on the screen. But that first commitment that we want to talk about here as a church family is this, that I will fully submit myself to the authority of God's holy scriptures. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, there's some language in that commitment that gives us a little, a little rub, isn't there? After all, our independent and individualized society feels at odds with words like submission and authority. And some of it is because we like our own freedoms. And some of it is because we have experienced abuses of power and authority. After all, to submit to something can be seen or viewed as weakening and at times maybe even life-taking. But I believe the contrary is true for the commitment that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, that I believe that what 
the Bible would actually set forth for us is this, that the local church is actually strengthened when its members are committed to the authority of God's holy scriptures. Uh, that our people are not weakened, they are not taken advantage of, but rather they are strengthened, they are built up when they are a people who are submitted to and committed to the authority of God's holy scriptures. What I want us to see this morning is that God's word, and whenever I say that here this morning, understand what I'm talking about is this here, this written revelation, this book that is bound sitting before you here this morning has been given for our greatest good. Yes, submission calls for you to put yourself underneath the authority of something or someone else. Yes, it means trusting that such authority is good rather than evil. And I fully believe that that is the testimony we have on display in Scripture. And I want to build a case for that today by providing four biblical reasons why we, as God's church, should submit to His Scriptures as our highest authority. So as we build our case for this this morning, four biblical reasons why we, as God's church, should submit to his scriptures as our highest authority. So let's begin, first of all, by considering that we submit to God's holy scriptures as our highest authority because we care more about what God has to say than man. We care more about what God has to say than man. You see, the matter of submission really comes down to whose authority we believe has the highest priority. I'll say it again. Matter of submission comes down to whose authority we believe has highest priority. If we believe the Bible for what it really is, then we know that the wisdom we receive does not come from fallible, imperfect men, but rather from an infallible, perfect God. We submit to the scriptures because we see them not as just one of many literary works that have been uh, gathered and compiled and preserved throughout the generations, but because we see it as the supreme divine revelation of God himself. We see it for what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, that it is breathed out by God, that it is God himself who is the author. He is the origin of it. That's why Paul commends the church in Thessalonica in chapter 2, verse 13. Oh, you received the word, not as the word of men, but for what it really is. You received it as the word of God, which does its work and is at work in your hearts. In fact, have you ever noticed that throughout the New Testament, Paul is constantly fighting to keep the church from embracing the ideas of men and reorienting their thinking back to God's truth. So much of his ministry is built upon that very reality. He reminds the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, do not be taken captive by any empty philosophy that man puts before you. 
Uh, if you were to look at First and Second Timothy, if you want to follow along to a few of these passages, in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and to endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. He would go on by the end of that first letter to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 20, to say, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Even today we live in that type of world, right? These ideas that are falsely called knowledge that come from the ideas of men rather than God. Then he writes to Timothy again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which do no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do yourself, and for those of you in Awana, you'll know this verse well. This is your theme verse. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Keep them on the right path of the truth, because the path of truth leads you into greater godliness rather than ungodliness. And then he wraps up in chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, and this is his final exhortation. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. For the time is coming. And I would say even as now is here, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Time and time again, we see the emphasis of the New Testament church going back to the scriptures. That is why it is dangerous for us to embrace the latest line of thinking as it relates to any number of issues. The newest evolved thinking on human sexuality or marriage or social justice or the person and work of Jesus. We as God's people must be people of the book to see God's written word as our highest authority that does not change. So when it comes to deciding whose word we will trust, or better yet, whose word we will choose to submit to, we will be like the disciples in the book of Acts who say we must obey God rather than men. And so we submit to God's holy scriptures because we care more about what God has to say than what man has to say. But secondly, we submit to God's holy scriptures as our highest authority because spiritual growth is impossible apart from it. 
As we look at the New Testament church, it becomes evident that spiritual growth does not happen apart from God using his word. God's spirit, which indwells every believer by faith, does his work through the ministry of God's word. In fact, this was central to Jesus' prayer for his disciples before he goes to the cross. In John 17, he prays, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. And you know what he does then? He defines that truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart, and do so by your truth. Your word is truth. Perhaps in no place do we see this more clearly than 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which we alluded to earlier, where we see that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here we see all the elements that go into this spiritual growth that is foundational to God's word. It is useful for teaching, that is instruction and in all that God has to say about himself and his people. It is profitable for reproof, which is to identify error in that very knowledge or that living or to bring conviction of sin where necessary. It's profitable for correction, to, to be able to set our lives back on the right course, to provide the solution for the sin or the struggle that you may be facing. But then it is also profitable for training in righteousness. It gives you the plan for how to live godly, the path to take. This training is so important, right? My wife and I have been a part of many long-distance races, and we've often used, most of the time used, some type of a, a running training plan. And the goal of a running plan is to equip the runner to race well, to prepare for that which is ahead so that that is not a surprise, but you are equipped for the very task that you are being set apart to do. So what then is the objective of the plan, the, the training and righteousness that the man of God is going through here in chapter 3? Well, in verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The most immediate reference to that man of God has to, be, uh, has to do with Timothy, this, this preacher, this minister of God's word. But that wording is found elsewhere in the New Testament to speak of this being the goal of all believers in Christ. Paul speaks of this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 where he says uh, that our goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. God has given his word as the means to help you grow in greater maturity. And so I ask you this morning, where do you currently see that growth? Where do you see or what role does God's word play? What is it connected to in your spiritual growth? Or we could say, where do you see the disconnect? Do you see how a separation from God's word, abiding in God's word, actually hinders that very growth that God has destined for you? You see, we submit to God's holy scriptures because we know that we cannot, cannot 
grow in our faith, grow in maturity as believers in Christ apart from it. Often we think about maturity as a word that we use to describe uh, young people who are immature, who need to grow up. But the reality is every single one of us as Christians are immature by nature. And so we need God's word. We need to submit to God's word if we are going to grow up in the faith. But then we also submit to God's holy scriptures as our highest authority because God's words are the life source of greatest freedom to us. God's word are the life source for greatest freedom. And here's where we go beyond seeing scripture for what it is, which is God's word. And we go beyond seeing scripture and what it accomplishes, which is our spiritual growth. Both those things are good and right and necessary. But now we embrace our appropriate perspective towards it. Our appropriate demeanor towards it. Because it would be one thing to accept these first two reasons, these first two truths as important. In fact, many people have done so, but many have done so at the expense of this third reality. You see, their perspective of God's holy scriptures and submitting to it is one of bondage. It's one of restriction. And dare I even say it's one of great burden for them. But is that what a proper understanding of these first two points should lead us to? I believe no. I would argue that that's not the case. So the proper understanding of these first two reasons for any born-again believer should lead us to immense joy. Immense satisfaction, immense glory, that we would see it, the scriptures as the greatest source of life and freedom that we can experience. And this is a real separator for people when they see that God's word is hard and submission to it is, is difficult. This is what was on display in John chapter 6, which you'll see on the cover verse of your worship folder this morning. Jesus is proclaiming to a, a bunch of people who want to follow him what it actually takes to do so. And you know what ends up happening? Most of the people leave. They're done. And Jesus, in that situation, turns to his disciples, he turns to the twelve, and he asks them, do you want to leave also? And Peter's response to the difficult teaching of God and Jesus and his word in that moment was what? Where else can we go? Where else should we go? You Jesus, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. To Peter, no other instruction gave life like the words of Jesus, though his teachings could often be hard. 
But when you start to understand this, you recognize that when God speaks to us doing something hard, we should be willing to do so because God is not doing so uh, out of a lack of love. He is not doing so out of a, a desire to be difficult and restrictive. No, God does so because he knows what is best and he is a loving, gracious God who desires our eternal good. He is doing so with our greatest eternal good in mind. He knows the path that will ultimately be life-giving to each and every one of us. And so, yes, God does require certain things. He does ask certain things of us, but it's because he knows what will ultimately bring life in the end. It's important when people are struggling in sin, struggling to submit to God's word because so often the perspective in that moment changes and they think God, for some reason, doesn't want them to be happy, that God is not loving them, that for some reason this is a burden that has been placed upon them. But this is where we must be reminded of the relationship that we have with the Lord. It's no different than the loving parent who does not allow their child to play in the busy street. Right? You kids have a knack for wanting to play in the street. I don't understand. It's just ingrained into your DNA. But when mom or dad tell you, hey, don't play in the street, it's not because they don't want you to have fun. It's not because they don't love you. It's not because they lack understanding of you. In fact, they are doing so because they love you so much that they know the path that will bring you greatest joy in life. And so when we see scripture this way, we understand that the commands of God, even though they can be hard at times, they are not, according to 1 John 5, 3, they are not burdensome. We don't see them as burdensome. But rather, we take on the mindset that David did in Psalm 19 that we read about this morning. Uh, David here uses several different ways to refer to the word of the Lord. You noticed here. He refers to it as the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. On and on and on he goes. But notice how David relates to God's instruction in these verses. Does David see God's word as burdensome? No, he says, your word revives the soul. Your word makes wise the simple. Your word rejoices the heart. Your word enlightens the eyes. You see here, David relates in such an intimate way with these things. David sees God's word as the greatest source of life to him. But then he goes on to share how God's word is the source of greatest joy and satisfaction Right? Verse 10, they are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. David's saying, you give me all the gold in the world and you put it up against God's word and guess what? It's still not even a fair competition. I will take God's word every single time because they, the gold does not give life like God's word does. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, even the sweetest tasting honey, or for you kids in here, the sweetest tasting candy. 
the Bible, when you understand it truly for what it is, is sweeter than that. You see, here God's word is both good, meaning it is beneficial, and it is pleasant. It is desirable. It's the perspective of the man in Psalm 1 whose delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is not in the counsel of the wicked or the path of sinners or the seed of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, which is why he meditates on God's law day and night constantly because there is nothing that satisfies his soul more than God. Yes, God's word is the life source of greatest freedom for his people, which is why we submit to it. But finally this morning, we submit to God's holy scriptures as our highest authority because no other standard will endure the test of time and trouble. This goes back to the first point that we talked about here this morning about why we do not want to be a people who accept the newest perspective on any given line of thinking. You know why that is? Is because man's thinking is constantly changing, is it not? We are feeble and frail and we are fickle and we are always changing our perspective. It is always evolving. Your life, add to that, your life and your circumstances, the things that you are going through, those things are always changing. They are always moving. They are constantly turning. But you know what never changes? You know what remains the same throughout all generations? The word of the Lord. It's what Peter speaks to in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. He says, they are quoting from the Old Testament, all flesh, all mankind, is like grass. There's a motivator for you this morning. And it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. It does not stay. It's constantly moving and it's gone. But, verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever. If you want to visualize that more clearly, then you need to look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is Jesus' conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most profound uh, sections of teaching in all of the Gospels. And Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with this picture. And compares for people what it looks like to respond to his instruction, to respond to his word. And Jesus says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus' words are a firm foundation that will stand both the test of time and trial. You see the trial there, right? The storms, the rains, the floods, all of it pounding on the life of the person, but their life is steady and firm, not because everything is great outside, but because the foundation of their life is built upon the never-changing, never-shifting God of Scripture. 
Why would we ever want to submit to a different authority than the perfect, tested, and enduring authority of God's word? When all these things are considered, all these reasons together this morning, and there's several that we could have talked about, several more that we could have talked about, but when all these are considered together, is it any wonder that we as the church are shaped entirely by the word of God? I appreciate the words of Kevin DeYoung and his book on this very subject called Taking God at His Word. DeYoung summarizes many ways what we've talked about this morning this way. He says, quote, If the Bible is everything we've seen it to be, then why wouldn't we read it, study it, memorize it, and teach it to others? Why would we build our churches on the shallow soil of pragmatic philosophy? Why would we counsel with the leftovers of worldly wisdom? Why would we look first to the beauty of mountains or the echo chamber of the self in moments of deepest pain and crisis? Why would we infuse our worship services with so little scripture? Why would we sing songs bereft of biblical substance? Why would we prostrate the word of God to even the smartest sounding words of men? End quote. I think DeYoung's conclusions there are right. Why would we do any of these things? They make complete sense when you see God's word through the lens that we've provided today. That is indeed why we as a church prioritize the word of God in our corporate worship gatherings. That's why we give the majority of our time that we gather together on Sundays to the preaching and the proclamation of God's word. It's not just because you have long-winded pastors up here, though you certainly do. It's because we believe that God's word has the highest authority, that you need to understand it more than anything else. But even with that, it's why the word of God guides the lyrics to the songs that we choose to sing. It's why it directs our public practice of things like prayer or baptism or communion. That's why the word of God is central to our discipleship ministries, to men, women, and students. That's why young people, elementary kids, that's why you memorize it week after week after week and Awana because we believe it is of greatest importance to your soul. That's why it is sufficient for the counseling that we offer to the hurting and those who need healing. On and on we could go, but the point is clear. The local church is strengthened when it is a people who are completely submitted and committed to the authority of God's word. Practically, what does this mean for you and me in everyday life? I'll give you a few reminders this morning. First of all, it means that you should give yourself to timing God's word. You give yourself to time in God's word not because you believe that your relationship 
is based on how much time or how many days you spend in God's word as if God's going to smite you because you don't spend time with him. No, you do so because, as Tyson reminded us, you get to. You have the privilege of a God who has revealed himself to you, and it's only been within the last couple hundred years of human history that you have access to the Bible like we do. For the first 15, 1600 years of history after Christ, people didn't have their own copies of God's word. You probably have multiple copies in your household. That is the immense blessing and the encouragement and the privilege that each and every one of us have to know God better daily by even just being able to access his word. And so take advantage of this profound privilege that God has given to you. But secondly, give yourself to memorizing God's word. Psalm 119 reminds us that hiding God's word in our heart helps us in our walk with him that we might not sin against him. God's word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Awana kids who are in this room this morning, can I just say I commend you? I'm so proud of you for the way that you are seeking week in and week out to memorize God's word in Awana. Not just so you can get these bucks that you can redeem at the end of the year, though that's pretty cool, I would admit but because you are storing up God's word in your heart, the very thing that can change your life forever, that is awesome. And I would encourage everyone in this room to look to our young kids as an example in that and model that and seek to implement it just like they are. I'll give you some bucks if you want. But thirdly, give yourself to searching God's word. Give yourself to searching God's word. And what I mean by that is be like the Bereans of Acts 17, church that Paul ministered to that were known for searching the scriptures whenever teaching was being given to search the scriptures to make sure that these things were true. We want to be a a people who always are asking the question, what does the Bible have to say about this? Every decision, every opportunity that comes into our life, how would God's word guide my thinking on this very matter? We want to be people of the book. We want to be those good Bereans who search the scriptures to know it and implement it. Fourth, give yourself to the ministries of this church where the word of God is taught You have an immense blessing, not just of having the word of God yourself, but to study it together in community. The way that God has designed the church to operate is to learn in community with each other. So not just in our corporate gatherings, but in our equipping classes, our life groups, our men's and women's Bible studies, find a way to continue to delve deeper into God's word with other people. And then finally, give yourself to praying for those who teach the word of God to you. And I don't say that one lightly because I understand as a messenger of God's word, what is at stake? There is a high calling and a high responsibility for those who teach the word of God in all spheres, even our women's Bible study, even our children's Sunday school classes. Pray for those who teach you or your children the word of God because you know that that will actually impact you and impact your children when you are praying for them to faithfully understand God's word, to accurately proclaim it. That has an immense benefit on your own heart as well. 
So give yourself to praying for those who proclaim God's word. I'm thankful that God's divine power has indeed given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We are not left to wonder who God is or what he is like or what he desires for us as his people. He loved us enough to preserve his divine message in one perfect, cohesive book for our joy. And so my prayer for all of us today is that we might embrace that joy, that we would be like David in Psalm 19, who would taste and see that not just the Lord, but the word of the Lord is good. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we do ask now that you would shape your people. Help us to be a people who understand who we are in relationship to you and the way that you have revealed yourself through your holy, perfect word. Help it to refine us, to shape us, to mold us, both as individuals and corporately as a church body. We want to be strengthened. We know that strengthening and spiritual growth can only come through the words of life that you have given to us in your word. Sanctify us in the truth, Lord. Your word is truth, and we are thankful for that this morning. And we pray that you would glorify your church, your name through this church, through your word. Amen.